Volume One, Chapter Nine of Celestina. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C. Celestina by Charlotte Turner Smith. Volume One, Chapter Nine celestina having by her easy and gentle manners conquered part of the extreme diffidence of her companion began to question her about her situation in life and as she had one of those faces and one of those voices which win every heart where any spark of feeling is found jessie soon found herself enough at ease and even flattered by the interest she seemed to take in her fate as to acquire courage to relate the following narrative i must go back a great way madame since you command me to tell you all i know of myself even as far as my grandfather who is, is one of the richest farmers in our part of devonshire using his own land as all his family i have heard have done before him for a great many years he married a clergyman's daughter who had been educated very well greatly indeed above the sort of life she was to lead as a farmer's wife but she was very pretty her father left her unprovided for and so she married perhaps more for money than love my mother was the only child they ever had and my grandmother though her own education had only served to make her unhappy would fain have had her daughter brought up as she had been herself but her husband of a very hard and obstinate temper and repenting perhaps of having married a wife too fine for him was so far from allowing her to have any education that he went to the other extreme insisting that his girl should do as his mother did thirty or forty years before and not only be taught to understand all the business of the farm but to live as he did himself as he obliged his wife to do the same as farming men the consequence of this difference of opinion was fatal to my poor mother one of her parents took every opportunity of giving her notions about herself which very naturally she easily took and the other seemed to delight in humbling and degrading her when she was about eighteen she lost her mother and then was forced to submit to the harsh and unnecessary confinement imposed upon her by her father from whom she endeavoured to conceal her passion for reading which only gained strength by this unreasonable restraint home was very uneasy to her but she could hardly ever leave it but by stealth as she was likely to have a very good fortune she had numerous suitors but my grandfather would suffer none of them to see her designing to marry her to a relation of his own almost as old as himself to whom she had an invincible aversion which through the timidity of her nature she dared not declare a neighboring farmer with whom my grandfather had for many years been at variance and with whom he had two or three lawsuits 
had two sons both brought up to his own business the eldest was married and had a family but the other had been spoiled by his mother and the notice taken of him by the neighboring gentleman on account of his skill in field sports he had indeed always been rather fonder of being with them at cricket matches and races than minding his farm he found means to introduce himself to my mother though he had been positively refused by my grandfather he won her affections and after several private meetings she agreed to go off with him the consequence of which was her having the door of her paternal house shut against her for ever for a little time after this marriage my mother was received at the house of her father-in-law but on his death it became the right of the eldest son who had a number of children and my father's family were all irritated and disappointed by the obstinate resentment of my grandfather towards his daughter they soon behaved with such unkindness towards her that she prevailed on my father to quit them and take a little farm of his own which he with difficulty borrowed money enough to stock for he had long since paid away in discharge of old debts all the money left him by his father he had been so long used to an idle or rather gay life that he could not now accustom himself to the labor requisite on so small a farm my mother however by incessant attention remedied for some years this deficiency on his part and though nothing was laid by they contrived to live my mother making from time to time attempts to obtain her father's pardon though she received nothing but cruel and positive refusals either to see her or her children or to give them the least assistance this hardness of heart which should have excited pity only made my father treat my mo poor mother with more harshness too a young man of fortune in the neighborhood just then coming of age was often at his seat near our little farm and took such a fancy to my father that he was always at his house living as he lived and associating with gentlemen from london and women they brought down with them he never came home but in such a terrible humor that i and my sister who were then about ten and nine years old used to be terrified to death yet when he was gone as he sometimes was for weeks together my mother lamented his absence and the loss of his affection much more than the fatigue poverty and sorrow to which his conduct exposed us all present anxiety and the fear of leaving me and my sister to a fate of deplorable as her own together with the incessant toil attending the care of a farm wholly neglected by her husband gradually destroyed her constitution till at last madame her heart was quite broken when she found she had only a few hours to live she entreated the clergyman of the parish to go to her father and beg if he would not see her that he would only send her his forgiveness for she could not die in peace without it even that he had the cruelty to refuse i lost my dear mother madame and my sister who was always of weak constitution 
followed her soon afterwards to the grave. Ah, how often have I wished that I had died too! Troubles now multiplied around us. My father's great friend had by this time so completely ruined himself that everything was seized and he left the country. My father, having no longer a house to be at, was forced to live at home. But it was only for a little while, for during my mother's illness everything had been neglected and we could not pay our rent, so the landlord seized our cattle, were sold, and we were turned out of the farm and went to a miserable cottage in the next village where as my father was so unused to work we subsisted for a while on the reluctant charity of my uncle whose daughters were always reproaching me with taking their bread from them believe me madame i did all i could to earn it for my father and myself but what could hands so feeble as mine do towards supporting us both i made an attempt to see my grandfather and to implore his pity and protection towards one who had never offended him but he ordered me to be driven from his door and never again suffered to appear there orders which those he had about him were ready enough to execute i returned home quite disheartened indeed but still endeavouring to the utmost of my power to procure a support by my labour for my father and myself i even went out to work in the fields but all i could earn was so insufficient that we often wanted necessary food at least i have often wanted it but my father had made an acquaintance with a widow woman in the next village who was said to be worth forty or fifty pounds she was young too and not ugly and in less than a year after my dear mother's death he married her and we removed to her house the extremes of poverty i had before known bitter as i thought them were comparatively happiness to what i now endured i became the servant of my mother-in-law only without wages she soon brought my father an increase of family to them then i was nurse and very soon had neither sleep by night or respite by day i thought it my duty to bear everything for my father without murmuring but as my fatigue and sufferings increased my dejection increased too i was sometimes through mere despondence unable to fulfil my heavy tasks in which if i failed in the slightest decree i was insulted with opprobrious language and told to go to my rich grandfather alas my rich grandfather continued inexorable but home was so dreadful that i determined to go to service being near twenty and able i thought to undertake any place that could be offered me for a harder than i now filled it was impossible to meet with i applied to a relation i had in exeter who after some inquiries procured me a place in the family of an attorney in london who was willing to dispense with my want of experience in favour of my being a country servant 
Thither, therefore, I went, and entered as cheerfully as I could on a new mode of life, endeavouring to forget I ever had any expectations of better. The dark, damp places where the servants of persons in the middling ranks of life live in the city appeared very dreadful to me, and it was my business, after a day of fatiguing work, to sit up for my master or the clerks, who were often out very late. My mistress, too, was a very fine lady, and kept a great deal of company, and it was part of my employment to wait on her own maid, who was also a sort of housekeeper, and much more difficult to be pleased than the lady herself. She took care, indeed, that I should never want business, but determined, as I was never again to be a brethren to my father, I went through the duties of my place, heavy as they were, with courage and steadiness, so that even this second mistress, however unwilling to be pleased, could not find fault with me. Among a great number of clerks that my master kept, there was one who was employed merely to copy, and was not admitted among the rest, though he looked, I am sure, more like a gentleman than any of them. He did not lodge in the house, but came every morning early to his work, and sat at it, poor young man, till five or six o'clock at night, when he dined with us servants after the family and other clerks had done. Often, indeed, instead of eating, he would sigh all dinner-time as if his heart would break, and I could not help fancying that he had been used to live quite in other company, though he never seemed above ours. He was always very obliging, though he was very melancholy. It happened once that my master had some extraordinary business to do that required great haste. It was some papers that were to be sent to India, and Mr. Cathcart, the young man I had been speaking of, hearing my master say how afraid he was he should not get ready, offered to work all day on Sunday, when none of the rest of the clerks would have stayed from their pleasure on any account. My master was pleased with his willingness to oblige, and he sat down to his task. Nobody was in the house but him and me, for it was the custom of my master and mistress to dine in the country on a Sunday with my mistress's mother at Edmonton, and all the gentlemen in the office went different ways. The footmen attended my mistress, and Mrs. Gillam, her maid, always went to see her acquaintance, who lived at the other end of the town, and very often came home sadly out of temper, because her place was not so fine and so fashionable as theirs, and then I was sure to suffer for it, as indeed I did for all her ill-temper when she had nobody else to vent upon. Ah, madame, often of a Sunday in the summer I have gone up into our dining-room, because the street was so close and narrow that below we hardly saw day light from one end of the year to the other, and I have opened the sash and looked against the black walls and shut windows of the houses opposite, and have thought how dismal it was. Ah, 
I remembered too well the beautiful green hills, the meadows and woods, where I so often used to ramble with my sister when we were children, in our own country, before we were old enough to know that my poor mother was unhappy and had learnt to weep with her. How often I have wished those days would come again, and how often I have shut my eyes and tried to fancy I saw once more all the dear objects that then were so charming. Alas, the dream would not last long, or if it did, served only to make me feel more unhappy, when, instead of being able to indulge it, I was obliged to go back to hard, and what was yet worse, to dirty work in our dismal kitchen. In Devonshire I had been used to work hard enough, but I had always fresh air to breathe, and could now and then of an evening sit at our cottage window, and look at the moon, and fancy that my mother might be there with my sister, and that they saw and pitied the poor unfortunate Jessie. Tears then relieved me, and I gathered courage to bear the next day the ill-humour of my mother-in-law which now that it was over I fancied was not worse than the ill-humour of Miss Gillam. My father's harshness indeed was worse than either, because I loved him, and every time he used to speak cruelly to me and seemed to wish me away it was like a dagger in my heart. The tears of the unfortunate Jessie here interrupted her narrative a moment, and Celestina took occasion to say, but what were you going to tell me about Mr. Cathcart? You seem to have forgotten him? Ah, madame, replied she with a deep sigh, I thought after I began to talk of him that I was doing wrong, and that it was better not to say any more about him. Besides, madame, though you are so good and so condescending, is not perhaps proper for me to trouble you with all the reasons I have to be sorrowful. Indeed, I wish extremely to know them, replied Celestina, and particularly I desire to know all that relates to Mr. Cathcart. The little you have said has interested me greatly. It was on the Sunday, madame, that I was speaking of, when everybody was gone out, that poor Mr. Cathcart first spoke to me alone. Often before that, to be sure, I thought he pitied me when he saw me doing work too heavy for my strength, and often he has offered to help me, and did not disdain to assist me, though the footman did, and yet I am sure his look and his manners were a great deal more like those of a nobleman than anything else. Mrs. Gillam, however, was always so angry if she saw him speak to or help me, and used to put herself into such passions, that he was afraid almost of looking at me before her, lest it should be the occasion of my being used ill. On the Sunday, madame, that I was speaking of, he had finished all my master left for him to do, between six and seven o'clock for he wrote such a beautiful hand and so quick that his writing seemed done by enchantment that day he had eat no dinner 
but a little after six o'clock he came down into the kitchen where i was fitting jessie said he will you make me some tea i am fatigued and i think it will refresh me ah madame how pleased i was to do anything for him as he sat on the other side of the table drinking his tea i looked at him and thought his eyes seemed inflamed as if he had been crying and he seemed more melancholy than usual what is the matter mr cathcart said i you have tired yourself too much yes answered he i have been writing a long time but i have finished my business so i never mind my headache he seemed desirous of turning the discourse and reaching across to the side of the table where i sat he took up a torn book which while i was sweeping the clerk's office the day before my master had thrown to me bidding me burn it for that he would not have such trumpery lay about there i never had time to read though my poor mother had taught me to love it and i had thrown this book into a drawer from whence i had taken it but a moment before mr cathcart came down he inquired how i came by it and when i told him asked if i had read it i answered that i had no time it is my book said he sighing from the bottom of his heart as he spoke and it is the story of a poor young man who was as unfortunate as i am but he had the resolution to end his calamities he indeed was not enchained to life as i must be heavens and earth exclaimed he as if at that moment oppressed by some idea altogether unsupportable how long shall i remain the wretch i am he started from his chair and walked about the room with looks so wild that i was terrified to death i went to him trembling and besought him to be calm to tell me if i could do anything for him he looked eagerly at me a moment and burst into tears ah jessie cried he you pity me and all the return i make is to terrify and distress you for a moment madame after this gust of passion he became calmer and sat down then as i stood trembling by him he took my hands within his and put them to his burning forehead and eyes but after a moment seeming to recollect himself he sighed and let them go and said i hardly know jessie what ailed me just now but i was so tired my spirits were so exhausted by having been so long at the desk employed in such a tedious kind of writing that when i looked at you when you seemed concerned for me i am so little used to meeting any any friendly looks here that your pity affected me so strangely i felt just then how terrible how very terrible my fate was and this proud rebellious heart subdued yet to my cruel destiny deprived me for a moment of my reason thank god replied i you are now easier indeed you did sadly frighten me tell me mr dear cathcart why did you talk so and why are you unhappy i will tell you jessie answered he though you are the only person in the house 
who shall ever guess at my real situation i am unhappy not because i was born and educated a gentleman and am now reduced to a condition worse than absolute servitude because those i love and feel for more than for myself are fallen with me because my labor and yet i am sacrificing my life to follow it my labor is insufficient to support a woman delicately brought up and her four infant children ah madame all the sorrow i have ever known was nothing to the cold death-like feeling which seemed to wither up my heart when for the moment i thought mr cathcart was married and had a family i did not know at the time why it hurt me so but i was not able to speak while he after remaining silent a minute said by my work to-day i have earned a guinea more than my weekly stipend surely therefore instead of murmuring thus i ought rather to be thankful that i have had power to do this for to-morrow i shall receive it and to-morrow i shall be able to carry to my sophie and her children some necessaries which they have long wanted but which i could not before spare money enough to procure for them out of what i earn weekly as the only support of us all poor as i am madame i could not help unlocking my tea-chest where i kept my little savings and though i trembled like a leaf as i did it i put a guinea and some silver all i had into a paper and carried it to him mr cathcart said i pray be not offended but take this trifle and make use of it for your family they want it more than i do and you cannot think how much happier it will make me if you have it than if i lay it out on myself gracious god cried he this is too much no my dear generous girl do not imagine i will take what you have so hardly acquired believe me jessie this instance of sensibility and kindness charming as they are only render me more wretched in the meanest servitude in the lowest degradation amid the hardest labor i have found a soul so much superior to those i have met in polished society but your form your manners your sentiments are not those of your station surely you were not born what i now see you indeed replied i i was my father is now a laborer i have no mother nor any friend willing if they are able to do anything for me but while i am able to work i must not i will not be discontented whatever hardships i may undergo if you mr cathcart will but lend me be your friend let me see your children indeed i shall love them and if your lady will give me leave i will work for them i can bring anything she will give me to do home and work in my own room instead of going to bed i do not know madame how i will be able to say so much for i felt my heart throb as if it would break all the time i was speaking 
oh madame i was suddenly transported as if were to heaven when mr cathcart thanking me a thousand times for my offer told me that the children he supported were not his own but his sisters whose husband had been undone by the villainy of some people with whom he had been connected in trade and by the wickedness of an attorney it is impossible to describe how i was relieved to find he was not married for though i am sure i could have loved his children dearly because they were his yet methought i loved them much better now sensations she had herself felt in regard to willoughby now forcibly occurred to celestina she remained silent however and jessie went on at this time madame mr cathcart took every opportunity of speaking to me and i got leave to go out one evening and he took me to see this beloved and unfortunate sister it was one of those little new houses which are run up in a road leading from Iflington to London, that Mr. Cathcart's family lodged his sister, Madame, was so like him that the moment I saw her I could have died for her, and I forgot all the reluctance with which I had agreed at his earnest request to go see her. She seemed to be four or five years older than he is, and was very pale and thin, but she had such beautiful eyes and hands so white. Her form was so graceful, so commanding, that her very plain dress and a close cap, such as a widow's wear, could not disfigure her or make her look otherwise than like a gentlewoman. When her brother led me in, she held out her hand to me and begged I would sit down, though in such a poor little lodging I felt she was so much my superior that I could not obey her without hesitation, but she presently, by her gracious manners, dissipated my fears, and I sat down by her close to a frame on which she had been working, a cradle with a sleeping baby. In it stood at her feet, by which a little girl of three years old sat, as if watching the infant, and on hassocks near the window were placed two little boys the elder not above six years old, who were learning their tasks. As soon as my reception was over, she smiled on her brother with more cheerfulness than it seemed possible a moment before her countenance to assume, and desired he would assist her in getting some tea for me. Cathcart went downstairs, and then she entered into conversation with me. My brother, said she, has often told me how unfit you are for the condition in which he found you, and if I may judge by your appearance, you certainly were not born to it. Had my dear Frank been any other than he is, I should have supposed him influenced by beauty, but I know that mere personal loveliness in any rank never affected him, and many reasons induced me, Jessie, to consent to see you, reasons which relate to him as well as yourself. He has told you, Jessie, that he was born to prospects very different from those now before him, prospects which I fear vanished for ever, 
my misfortunes which are such as i dare not attempt to relate to you have extended to him yet does he with unexampled generosity give himself up to servitude to assist me and my poor children judge whether such a brother is not dear to me judge whether i ought not to love all that he loves and to comply as far as possible with all his wishes i have of late seen with infinite pain that in addition to all the calamities of indigence a passion has seized him which must increase and may perpetrate his misfortunes and i consented and even wished to see you that i may fairly state to you the situation he is in as to circumstances in the hope a hope in which i trust i shall not be deceived that your good sense and even your regard for him will lead you to avoid an error so seducing that of becoming his wife i do not know madame how i looked at that moment but i believe mrs elphinstone thought i should faint for she gave me an immediate assistance by opening the window fetched me a glass of water and very earnestly entreated me to recover myself before her brother returned i should be too tedious madame were i to relate all that passed even in the few minutes we were together afterwards i found that cathcart's regard for me was such that he was willing to forget what he had once been and what he might still be and to unite himself forever with the poor and humble jessie ah madame had it not been for mrs elphinstone's sake who with her children had no other dependence i should have feared no poverty no distress with him but should have been too happy to have begged round the world with him as it was i saw that i ought not to think a moment of marriage which would be at best only increase his difficulties oh how i then wished that my grandfather was less cruel my poor father less imprudent after this first interview with mrs elphinstone i saw her whenever i could get leave to go out which was not indeed very often but my master who did not want humanity seeing me look dreadfully ill ordered mrs gillam to let me go out whenever she could spare me for air mrs elphinstone who watched every alteration of my countenance guessed at all i suffered and at length she became so fond of me that she rather desired that opposed the completion of her brother's wishes the struggle i underwent nearly cost me my life but at length madame i have left them both i could not bear to see my dear cathcart every day more and more unhappy i could not bear to become a burden to him for some time i redoubled my diligence and exerted myself greatly beyond my strength from a hope that by becoming necessary to my mistress i should obtain an increase of wages out of which i thought it possible that i might be able to save something but the upper servant took pains to render all my endeavours ineffectual and my health declined so rapidly under the labour and anxiety i endured that cathcart 
whose uneasiness completed the measure of my sufferings, at length proposed that I should quit the, my service, and that only means of saving my life and try what my native air would do to restore me. I hope my father will receive me without unkindness, and suffer me to stay till I am able to take another service, and sometimes I am willing to flatter myself that my grandfather may relent, though it is more possible than probable. And where, inquired Celestina, have you left your lover? Ah, madame, replied the weeping Jessie, he still remains writing for the existence of his sister and her children at his pen from early morning to eleven or twelve at night but such assiduous application he enabled indeed to earn double the money he would otherwise do but his dear health is fast declining and god only knows continued she clasping her hands together whether i shall ever see him more but if not, one comfort, one great comfort, is that we shall not be separated long. In heaven nothing can part us. Let us, however, hope, said Celestina, that your tenderness, your fortitude, and generosity will be rewarded on earth. Your father then knows nothing of your arrival? Ah, no, madame, I dare not write him for fear he should have been angry with me for having quitted my service, and have refused to receive me. Now I hope, when he sees me so sadly altered, for I am not at all like I was when I left him, he will have some pity upon me, and suffer me at least to stay in his house till I have strength enough to undertake another service." You shall go with me, however, to-night, said Celestina, and you shall stay with me till you are fitter than you now appear to be to undergo an interview with this cruel father. The poor Jessie, oppressed by this goodness, could not speak, but she kissed the hand of her benefactress with a respectable gratitude, and a mournful but not unpleasing sadness kept the generous and soft-hearted Celestina silent till their arrival at the inn where they were to remain that night. End of Volume 1, Chapter 9 Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.